You know, we all uh, appreciate the power of affirmation, don't we? It just feels good to be affirmed when it's done properly. Affirmation is really important when it's done right. It's powerful. It's life-changing. That's why we believe at Gateway we should be a triple-A church. We want a church culture that affirms, appreciates, and encourages, and accepts one another. So why don't you take a minute right now, turn to someone near you, and just say something you appreciate about them. If you can't think of anything, come forward for prayer at the end of the service and we will try and help you. Affirmation is very important in life. It's important for health and growth and maturity. And no one is able to affirm us like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greatest affirmer on planet earth. Jesus Christ affirmed his love and acceptance for us when he hung and suffered and died on the cross, he was saying, this is how much I love and value you. And he took all our sin, all our separation from God, all our, the judgment of that, all the condemnation of that, he took it on himself and he gave us his forgiveness and his righteousness and he brought us in to a relationship with the living God. Affirmation is very important. But today we're going to discover that affirmation alone is not enough for health and growth and maturity. Our culture has gone crazy with affirmation. Demanding affirmation for everything. Affirm my identity, whatever I choose that to be. Affirm my habits. Affirm my addictions. Affirm my lifestyle. It's just a constant demand for affirmation for whatever goes. And sometimes that attitude can creep into our understanding as the church where as followers of Christ we say, just affirm me. Don't challenge me. Don't question me. Don't confront me. I just want your affirmation. Well, Jesus is the greatest affirmer, but he also directs and corrects. He also shapes and transforms. He even confronts us. And we call that the functional lordship of Jesus. And by that we mean that Jesus is not just positionally Lord and he's not just theoretically Lord. He operates and functions in my life on a daily basis as the Lord and boss. Some of you may never have settled that issue of the Lordship, the functional Lordship of Jesus. Some of you may not be growing spiritually. You may be stuck or you actually may be sliding backwards because you're resisting Jesus in this area. And as we look at this passage in Matthew today, it speaks about the functional Lordship of Jesus in three different ways. And I want to share that with you this morning. 
So if you turn, please, to Matthew chapter 11, we're actually going to go back a chapter. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to them, Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And Jesus answered those disciples, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. You said wherever two or three gather together in your name, you are in our midst. And we welcome your presence this morning. We welcome your angels. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you, Lord, there's a standard, there's a measuring rod. We thank you this word is living and active and powerful and alive. We thank you that it judges the deepest parts of us. We thank you that it brings life and power and ability to us by the power of your spirit. And we ask this morning that you would renew our thinking. You will touch our affections. You will equip us and move us onto your precious and glorious agenda. And we ask this in that name which is above every name, that name at which demons tremble and sickness flees and every knee one day will bow, that glorious Majestic name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 2 begins here. When John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus and he had this question Are you the one? Who is to come. Now, you remember John. We first met John back in Matthew chapter 3. John is that. John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, that wild, raw, radical prophet of the Lord with the long hair and the long beard, with the grasshoppers and the honey and the rough clothes, and he's out in the wilderness and he's preparing the way of the Lord. He's the forerunner. He's the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Because he's preparing the way of Jesus. And John is out there and he's speaking these radical, harsh messages. Repent, you brood of vipers, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And thousands are flocking to John. This is the John who saw Jesus 
In John chapter 1, walking by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John who baptized Jesus. When Jesus came to him, John said, No, no, you should be baptizing me. I can't baptize you. And Jesus said, No, permit it at this time to fulfill all righteousness. And when he baptized Jesus, the heavens split open. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And God spoke in an audible, thunderous voice from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the John we're talking about. But this John is now in prison. Because he spoke out against Herod and the unlawful wife he had. Herod had apparently gone to Rome to visit his brother Philip. And while he was in Rome, he seduced his brother Philip's wife, lured her back to Galilee, dismissed his own wife, and married this woman. And John said, that's not lawful. And he kept proclaiming righteousness until finally Herod put him in prison. And here he is in prison. And he's questioning. He's doubting. Are you the Christ? This is the guy who saw the heavens open, the dove descend, who said, behold the Lamb of God. I'm not worthy to baptize you. Now he's doubting and he's questioning, are you the Christ? What happened here? Maybe John's expectations were disappointed. John had an idea of how the Messiah should come, how the kingdom should come, how it should expel Rome and establish a new reign, and that wasn't happening. And John's in prison thinking, what's wrong, Jesus? You're the Messiah. What's going on here? Let's get with the program. Let's get Rome out of here. Maybe it was disappointed expectations. Maybe it was John's circumstances. Maybe he was discouraged like the prophet Elijah was discouraged. Maybe John's thinking, I sacrificed. I lived a righteous life. I was radical. I was raw. I was a Nazarene. I proclaimed, the, the, prepare the way of the Lord. And here I am, suffering, languishing in a prison. And Jesus responds to John with this amazing grace. No rebuke. Jesus just says this, Go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached for them. Oh, and be sure to tell John this. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Notice three things. First of all, doubt and questioning our faith happens. It's not a sin. We all go through this at some point. When things go wrong, when a loved one dies prematurely, when a job doesn't work out, or a relationship goes sour, when finances or health are threatened, when any kind of disappointment comes, we question, we can doubt. That's not wrong. Jesus is not threatened by our questioning and our doubting. We've had a number of very precious saints die here in the last six or seven years, seemingly prematurely. That can cause us to question, to doubt, to say, Lord, what's going on here? 
Do our prayers make any difference, Lord? Your word says this, we experience this. What what's it could cause us to question and doubt? Or maybe, maybe the sale of this property and the expansion and moving to West St. Paul and it's just gone on and on and on. It seems like it's never going to end. Maybe that causes us to question and doubt. Is this God? Is this really God? Has God said this? Are we just making this up? Jesus is not threatened by our questioning or our doubts. The second thing to notice is when we turn to Jesus with our doubts and questions, as John the Baptist did, God will speak to us. You know, some people, when they go through a crisis of faith or doubts or questioning, they turn away from Jesus, not towards Jesus. That's a very dangerous thing to do. They turn away from his body. They turn away from wise counsel and input and prayer. It's fatal. Satan is waiting to confuse and devour and deceive us in our faith. He's waiting to destroy us, isolate us and destroy us. We had someone who has come to Christ a number of years ago and they were part of gateway, intricate part of gateway ministry. Doing great and then something happened. They were struggling. They were doubting. They were questioning their faith. And instead of turning towards Jesus, instead of turning towards the body, they withdrew. And before we knew it, they had left the church and then they had lost their faith and they ended up becoming an atheist. But when we turn to Jesus with our doubts and our questions... He will speak to us. And the third thing to notice here is that Jesus doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. Verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What's going on here? In response to John's question, Are you the one? Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, and Isaiah 61. Jesus says, the eyes of the blind are open, the ears of the deaf unstop, the lame leap, the tongue of the mute sings for joy. And then Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to Bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison doors and let the captives go free and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And as John listens to Jesus' response, the blind receive sight, the lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor are have the good news preached to them. John is waiting for, and the prison doors are open, and the captives are set free. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't go there. In fact, Jesus leaves that part of the prophecy out, not by mistake, but by design. Jesus says to John, John, I'm not going to open the prison door for you. You're not going to be set free in this life. I have something better for you, John. 
You're going to die. Trust me. I have a better plan for your life. That's the functional lordship of Jesus Christ. What do we do when we don't get our own way? When God's way isn't our way, as the prophet Isaiah says, God speaks through the prophet in Isaiah 55, and he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways and thoughts above yours. What do we do when things don't work out the way we expected, the way we planned, the way we anticipated? Whether God offers it or allows it, we all experience it. And Jesus said this, Blessed is the one who does not get offended by me. Many years ago in one of our churches in uh, England, one of our Salt and Light churches, there was a couple by the name of Howard and Carol Chapman. They'd only been Christians for five months when suddenly they lost their three-year-old daughter, Sharon, to an asthma attack. That was horrible. It was tragic. But it was compounded because two months earlier, they had lost a 17-day-old baby boy by the name of Matthew. Now they were childless and absolutely devastated. They wanted to walk off the face of the earth Their pastor, Barney Coombs, who many of you know, who has been our pastor for many years, he drove them to another town where they could stay with a loving Christian couple while they grieved. And on the way, the wife fell asleep, and Barney had an opportunity to talk to the husband. He said this, Howard, what you have experienced today has created a huge crater in your lives. And you're either going to let Satan fill that crater with resentment that will make you bitter for the rest of your lives. Or you're going to let Jesus fill it with his comfort and his love. And as a consequence, give you a ministry to others. Thankfully, Howard made a good choice that day. He decided to turn to Jesus with his doubts, with his questions. In his grief, two days later, Howard testified at this people's place they were staying to the gardener. And he helped the gardener to receive Christ. Within six months, Howard and Carol had led most of their neighborhood to Christ, which ended up becoming a church. And nine months later, God gave them a new baby boy by the name of Daniel Barnabas. Will they ever recover? No. You don't recover. You don't just pass over that. You live with that for the rest of your lives. But they turned to Jesus. And Jesus made something profoundly powerful. The functional lordship of Jesus means Jesus will not always affirm what we want. Jesus will cross our will at some point. You never know if Jesus is your functional Lord until he does cross your will. And then 
you get to decide and surrender. He won't always do what we want, the way we want, or when we want it. None of us can avoid suffering or disappointed expectations in this life, but we can avoid being offended by them by turning to Jesus like John did. Jesus always has a good plan. And he promises to work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he begins that good by conforming us to be more like him. God has crossed my will many, many times, as I'm sure he has yours. But one in particular happened a number of years ago. It's a vivid memory for me. I was at a conference, and uh, I, uh, during the break of the conference, I went downstairs, and under the stairs of this building, there's a phone. And uh, I was using the phone to call back home and see how Mary was doing. And the first thing Mary said to me was she gave me some news that hit me like a ton of bricks. It rattled me. In fact, it destabilized me. I could feel myself slipping and all the, the, the doubts and the questioning started to come. And I, 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 it actually scared me. And I, I, I said goodbye. I put the phone down. And I thought, Jesus, help me. And something had crossed my will. And it really destabilized me. And I, I just remember... Going, I, I, I took time, I walked around the neighborhood, and I just kept saying, Romans 2, or Romans 12, verse 2, God, your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Your will is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Well, within a couple of days, my whole perspective had changed. Within weeks and months, I was absolutely grateful for what God had done. And today, his plans, not my plans, his plans, today I am overwhelmingly grateful I didn't get my way. I got his way. I see it looking back. God, you're so good. You're so wise. You know what's best. The functional lordship of Jesus means at some point, Jesus in his love and goodness will cross our wills. Well, let's move on and look at this second Portion here, verses 7 to 10. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. He said, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Jesus, in the, in, in the next uh, 
12 verses, verse 7 to 19, Jesus just affirms John the Baptist. And he says to the people present, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a pushover? Did you go out to see someone who's like flopping in the wind? Did you go out to see someone who's easily swayed by public opinion? Did you go out to see a soft person in soft clothes with a soft message? Did you go out to the wilderness to be affirmed? Did you go out to be stroked and to be made to feel good about yourself? No, Jesus says, you went out to see a prophet. You went out to see someone who is saying, you brood of vipers, repent, turn. More than a prophet. A forerunner, the greatest prophet, someone who prepared the way for God himself. You came out to the wilderness to receive some hard truths because Jesus doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. He tells us what we need to hear. And that is what a prophet does. Our culture is so enamored with just being affirmed. And we need affirmation. We need love and comfort and encouragement. But that's not all we need. We also need to be confronted. We need truth as well as love. If you're never confronted, you will never grow into all that God has for you. A couple of weeks ago, I was at my hairdressers who, who I've, I've gone to for 30 years. And uh, the, the, the work is easier for him as the years go on. I call him the miracle worker. But a couple of weeks ago when I was there, there was an older lady who was getting her hair dyed. And, and so while she was waiting with the hair dye, uh, my hairdresser says, uh, yeah, Ron's a pastor. Well, as soon as she found out I was a pastor, she became very spiritual. She said, oh, I have something I, wanted to sh- I want to share with you. So uh, after she got her, her, her dye done with, anyhow, she says, she starts telling me her wacky ideas about life and afterlife. It was absolutely bizarre. Smoke and mirrors and all this kind of thing. And I'm just looking at her like, where on earth did you get that from? So after she was finished, I said to her, how do you know that's true? She looked at me like I was from another planet. She said, it's true because I believe it. That's our culture. It's true because I believe it. I said to her, that doesn't make it true. (laughs) Something's not true because you believe it. We believe something because it's true. Truth is reality, it's objective, it's propositional, it's facts, and truth is a person, it's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth, the life, and the way. No, she wasn't interested in truth. She just wanted to believe something that affirmed her lifestyle. And this takes us to the second point of the lordship. The functional lordship of Jesus means Jesus won't always tell us what we want to hear but what we need to hear. Jesus will confront us with truth. And I'm so grateful for this congregation because I know we are a company of people who value truth above anything else. 
We're a company of people who want to follow Jesus, who want to be submitted to his functional lordship. But sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes when Jesus speaks truth to us, he does it through other people. We can get defensive, resistant, belligerent, go on the attack. Everybody needs a prophet in their life. Someone who loves you and will tell you the hard things you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Several years ago, I was sitting in our living room with Mary and uh, Barney, who was uh, my pastor. And Mary was telling Barney how stressed out I was and how I wasn't listening to her. And so, uh, which, is, which is our agreement. That was totally legitimate to do. And so, uh, when she was finished, Barney looked at me and he says, uh, Mary says you're stressed out, Ron. I said, hey, I'm not stressed out. <laughs> and they both looked shocked. And I realized when, when I looked in their faces and saw the shock and I realized I had just reacted like someone who's terribly stressed out. And why would I resist the two people who love me most in this life who are trying to help me? And we all started to laugh and, and I repented and listened and we got things sorted out. Two days ago, that same prophetess, my beloved wife, sat me down and told me some things I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. I hope you have someone in your life or someones in your life who do that with you. Jesus' lordship, his functional lordship means we don't always, he doesn't always tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And thirdly, let's go on to this, uh, this uh, second last portion here. Verse 20 to 24. Now Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Horazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you will be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. What an amazing statement. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Jesus denounces these cities. This word denounce is a very strong word. It means deep indignation, reproach, shame. And Jesus only used that word two times in all the scriptures when he spoke to people. One was to his disciples in Mark 16 when they didn't believe the resurrection. The Bible says he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were crying at table and he rebuked them. He denounced them. He abraded them because of their, hard, their unbelief and their hardness of heart. For they didn't believe the women who told them about the resurrection. And then the second time is to these cities that didn't repent at his preaching. 
These, these three cities, Bethsaida, Horazin, and Capernaum, were all a few miles apart. They were called the Evangelical Triangle, like Carmen Winkler Morden. It's where Jesus did most of his, his miracles. He healed numerous people. Lame people walked. Demons were cast out. The dead were raised in these three cities. And yet Jesus says to them, Woe! Woe to you! Doom to you! Because you did not repent. And that word repent actually has to do with the brain. It has to do with our thinking. If you Google repent, everything that comes up has to do with turning. Oh, it's a U-turn, it's a turn. No, the actual word repent means to change your thinking. When you change your thinking, then your behavior can change. These people didn't resist Jesus. They didn't oppose him. They just refused to change their thinking. They were unresponsive and indifferent. And today, all three of those cities are ruins. Nobody lives there. And it's interesting, if you go through the book of Matthew, you'll see all the judgment passages in Matthew. Matthew 11, Matthew 23, and Matthew 25. They all have to do with what we do, not what we believe. It's all about our behavior, not about mental assent. What you do really matters. I always smile when someone says to me, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. Yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It doesn't matter if you know it. The issue is, do we do it? If we do it, then it means we know it. If we just know it and we don't do it, we don't know it. The functional lordship of Jesus means Jesus can call us to repent, change our thinking, and we respond. And Jesus changes our thinking through the word of God. When we memorize, when we meditate on God's word, it transforms our thinking. And that produces repentance. So why would anyone want Jesus to be their functional Lord? Why would anyone want their will crossed? Why would anyone want to hear somebody tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear? Why would anyone want someone messing with their thinking and rewiring their brain? Well, there's loads of reasons. Let me just give you three. You are never designed to be your own master. Your will and mine are short-sighted and self-destructive. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. God always has a better plan. Secondly, your and my brains are already messed up. We're corrupted with self. Jesus is the only one who can straighten our thinking out. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And thirdly, your eternity and my eternity is determined by the lordship of Jesus. In both Luke and Matthew, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you? Lordship, if it doesn't lead to obedience, 
It's not the functional lordship of Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just end there with John and with those three cities. Jesus ends with one of the most beautiful invitations in all of the scriptures. And it's right here in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. And it's how, how we receive the functional lordship of Jesus. Jesus says this, verse 28, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The functional lordship of Jesus is not about trying harder. It's not about us somehow screwing our will up and determining that we are going to submit to him. It's an invitation. Jesus is saying, come, come to me. Not to a set of rules, not to rituals, not even to church, your devotional life, cell life. Those are all good, but that's not what you're coming to. You're coming to me, a person. It's an intimate relationship. And it's open to everybody who recognizes how weary they are. Are you tired of running your own life? Are you tired of carrying that weight? Do you know you're stuck? Are you unhappy? This is Jesus' invitation to us. He says twice, I will give you And that word rest means to cease from your labor and activity. But it doesn't mean just inactivity. It actually means, yeah, you cease from your labor and activity. And it also means that you get refreshed. You recover your strength. The functional lordship of Jesus results in peace and refreshment and renewal. It's like coming home. It's like going, ah, this is where I belong. And how do you do that? Jesus said, by taking my yoke upon you. It's a yoke. And Jesus is right there beside us. I remember when this revelation hit me. I was 25 years old. I'd been a Christian for six years. I surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, but I didn't understand about his functional lordship and being yoked to him. And I was working at West Coast Church in Vancouver. I was in the tape ministry. I had to edit the tapes and send out tapes all over the world. And one night, I was up in the sound booth, and I was listening to a message on being yoked to Jesus. And the presence of God filled that little sound booth. It was a holy moment. 
And I knew Jesus was speaking to me. I turned the machine off. I got down on my knees. I had this chair with a hole in the back. I put my head in the hole. I said, Lord, I want to be yoked to you. I give up my independence and whatever else. I want to be yoked to you. Now, I've had to renew that over the years many, many times. But that settled the issue for me. Why would you ever want to be yoked to Jesus? Because he said, I'm gentle, humble of heart. There's no one on, in the universe that is easier to get along with than Jesus. He's the most perfect person to be yoked to. Maybe you're afraid. What's he going to do? Well, you have, to, you have to deal with your fear. You have to give it to him. He promises that his yoke on our life will be easy. You know what that word means? It means kind. It means good. And it's light. It's not a heavy weight. When you run your own life, there's such a heavy weight. But when we're yoked to Jesus, there's incredible refreshment. Yes? He will cross our will for our good and his glory. Yes, he will tell us not always what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And yes, he will call us to repent. He will call us to change our thinking. But he will get the most pleasure and value out of our lives, our short, brief lives here on this planet.